This is Real Estate Rookie Show number 29. I used to feel more strongly about the right neighborhood or the right market. And now I feel like the the feet on the street and how are they going to handle when a problem arises is more important to me now than the market. Did I catch a niner in there? (laughs) My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Felipe Mejia. You know what movie that's from? No, where is that from? Tommy Boy. (laughs) No idea. That's hilarious. Yeah, all-time favorite. You have to watch it if we're going to continue to be friends. If we're okay, send it to me. Amazon it to me. I'll definitely. I can't believe you never watched it. Yeah, did you catch a niner in there? Would you come from a walkie talkie? (laughs) What I've never heard that. Today we are talking about turnkey properties. How to find a turnkey company? What to ask the turnkey company? And we have on Whitney and Lance who have grown massive portfolios, starting out with turnkey. Yeah, this is a really special show because, you know, there's a lot of myths behind turnkey properties, buying them, how to get the right managers in place after that, how to separate them. It's just a really good show for those who are looking to invest into a property that's already ready. And she explained it perfect. Key goes in, you turn it, it's ready to rent. So Lance and Whitney answered some crucial questions when it comes to investing in out of state, even with a turnkey property. We also had a little fun hearing about a horror story that Felipe had in a property not related to turnkey at all, but uh, leave some great advice as to what to watch for when closing on a property. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. We know and you all know why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers... Proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. 
It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Whitney, Lance, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here today. It looks beautiful out there where Whitney is. Can't really see the background for Lance, but looks great. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We are gentlemen here, so we're going to let Whitney go first. And then Lance, tell us about who you are and what you do. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a real estate investor, <laughs> like um, pretty much everybody here on Bigger Pockets or at least aspiring real estate investors. Um, I started in 2002 with living, flipping, and house hacking, and have scaled up through turnkey, burr investing, and multifamily syndication investment. And so I hold over 3,000 rental units currently and 1,400 self storage. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it can be done, guys. It can be <laughs> yeah. done. Lance, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. So I actually have a little bit of a different story. So now I'm more heavy in, in e-commerce as my day job. I actually own two different seven-figure e-commerce businesses. I started in real estate back in 2011. And from there, I've probably at my peak owned 40 units. Um, now I'm down to uh, just nine single family. And I've done everything from you know the live-in flipping, turnkey, buy and rehab. So now it's you know more of an investment for me than a full-time business. Very cool. So we are have you guys here today to talk about turnkey. And we want to know the ins and outs of how to find a turnkey provider. Uh, Whitney, do you want to start and just kind of tell everyone what a turnkey provider is? Sure. So a uh, turnkey provider, I like explaining it this way. It's like a burr. It's just not your burr. Okay. So if you know burr investing, the turnkey provider has already bought the property below value. They've rehabbed the property, and now instead of uh, they've tenanted the property too. Instead of refinancing the property, they choose to sell. So they're flipping it to another investor who can then carry on the business plan from there. So the benefit for an investor, especially if you're time strapped, you know, or if this is kind of your first foray into real estate and you're testing out markets and operators, you literally can put the key in the door and turn it, and you should start generating income from day one. Whitney, I love what that is... little analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the key and then it works out. Whitney, tell us a little bit about the strategy that you used to scale. And then we'll let Lance speak after that. You mean from my turnkeys after that or like just getting into turnkeys? Yeah, just getting into turnkeys. Just kind of picking your brain a little bit of how that worked and how you were able to scale that quickly. Yeah. So, uh, well, just really just being pretty fanatical about the entire process. I come from a business operations background and you know, what you don't know as an operator, you go find the person who does know it and you hire them, you hire the best. And so my husband and I, we knew we've transitioned from live-in flipping and house hacking where we were making buckets of money, but we didn't have income. Mm. Okay. And when we finally could put a word to what it is that we were actually after with our investing, like the light, you know, turned on for us. We're like, duh, it's rentals. So we bought here property here in Colorado but we realized that we weren't able to cash flow. And for us, we had to get out of Colorado. And the best way that we knew how to do that without having to figure out all the different puzzle pieces of construction and property management and market analysis, all this at one time was to go find the people that were doing already the best, that had the best businesses. 
and that for us led us into the turnkey environment. But more importantly, when we were vetting providers, we were also kind of exploring with them the question of whether they would actually help us over time transition into more of a rehab because we knew that's where we wanted to be. So as far as like, how did I scale so quickly? One, we had been saving like rapidly for 10 years. I mean, I think that's, you know, David Green says it best, like there's no overnight success. It's all that work that somebody did to get there. And so we had been saving pretty, we'd been saving over 50% of our income living off of one paycheck. And then, and you can do it even off a single income. Okay. It can be done. And then also taking all of our capital from our living flipping and adding it to that bucket. That way, when we were able to go out of state, we were ready to pull the trigger. From there, it was just mainly, you know, finding the operator. We probably didn't go about it. I mean, turnkeyreviews.com, you know, all these websites, they just weren't there whenever we were looking for providers. So it was mainly networking on bigger pockets, creating a list of providers, both people who reached out to us that actually had businesses, but uh, talking to other investors who uh, were investing in turnkey and gathering all that information and then really creating a spreadsheet and spending the time to call these people and ask everybody the same questions so we could compare apples to apples. Lance, what about you? Yeah. Um, for me, it was interesting. I actually bought a property because I wanted to invest in real estate. And at the time, I didn't really understand the differences between cash flow or, or equity or anything like that. It was more the long-term play. And I knew in the, in, eventually it would make me a lot of money somewhere. And um, it happened to be just outside the Bay Area, California, um, had a bunch of equity, I sold it and then I started looking for where to invest next. And so I did a 1031 exchange. So I kind of fell into you know a big sum of money for real estate investing. And that's how I started my journey of looking for the next move. And so I started by looking at different markets. Um, and then just naturally from there, it, you know, it led me into finding turnkey providers. And actually, I originally found them from bigger pockets and kind of similar at the time. I had never heard of turnkey. I, you know, it was hard to find these turnkey providers, but the idea of someone, you know, buying and doing the rehab for me and then taking over the property seemed easy. And I figured, you know, I can start buying that way. And then from there, scale or kind of figure out where it goes from there. (laughs) What's one piece of advice you would give someone who's just considering doing turnkey? Like what would be the first thing they should do? About the operators. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do they start there or should they find a market and then go for an operator or do they look for the operator first and say, Hey, what markets are these operators in? You know, I, Lance, I, I mean, I've heard you talk before on this. I mean, I think it can go both ways. I mean, I think both are very valuable strategies for me. I chose to go for the operator and the market at the same time. And that's a lot to bite off on, bite off and chew, but both are going to be put you like put all the investing cards and stack them in your favor. And Lance, I'll let you tell your story here, but partnering with an operator that has multiple markets available allows you to diversify quicker and scale up faster. You know, but I, I wouldn't make that part of it is just like that first deal, get in and do it, find an operator that you know, like, and trust, and, you know, allow it to be in a really solid market. I mean, these operators aren't necessarily operating in poor markets. I mean, if the margin's not there for them. They're not going to be there one, because they can't make the equity and two, they can't move the property to another investor. So you should always double check it, but they do kind of coincide and go hand in hand, the, the market and the operator. Lance, what would you say? Yeah, I agree. I think from a, a market perspective, you can always find the good pockets of any market. I mean, markets that, you know, maybe there's a, a fleeing population. I mean, you can always find those neighborhoods where people are still moving into. So you can really always make it work. 
with the right amount of you know just research and, and market understanding. When it comes to finding the the operator, yeah, it's really important because feet on the street is the most important thing when it comes to real estate investing. Right, being able to understand, trust the person you're working with, the company you're working with, both from you know are they putting you in the right neighborhood, right, to how well are they doing their their rehabs being able to, to kind of vet them, understand the references, track record of experience. So I think all those things are important. I think ideally, if you can identify the right market, the right neighborhood, and then the right operator, of course, that's always going to be the best fit. But I used to feel more strongly about the right neighborhood or the right market. And now I feel like the, the feet on the street, you know, how, are they gonna, how are they going to handle when a problem arises is more important to me now than the market, especially as a rookie that doesn't know everything to look for. So... Let me butt in here, Whitney and Lance. What questions would you say are key that need to be answered correctly when finding a good market, but a good operator as well? So that I, let's say that I'm, I want to start somewhere new, but like, what are those questions that I need to be asking to be successful in this? I think you would start with the investment strategy. What is your overall goal? Right. And I think those two questions go hand in hand, right? Are you looking for appreciation? Are you looking for cash flow? Are you looking for a balance of both? Because knowing the answer to those two questions will help drive what market you're going to look for. Then it's the asset. What type of asset class do you want? Are you, you know, A, B, C, like what type of tenant do you want to deal with? Because there are different operators that cater to those different types of asset classes. And once you have like kind of those initial steps covered, those first three initial questions, and you can answer that, it could take you a week, it could take you an hour, you know, but once you kind of have that narrowed down, now you have niched down on the operator, operator that you're looking for. That's a really great point. They, they need to know what they want before they go and try to find someone who can get them what they want. Mm -hmm. And it may require several conversations. I mean, I think it's kind of a spiral if you will, because you might have like, you might know exactly what you want on paper. And then you go talk to a few different providers. And you're like, oh, wow, no, like, I don't want that at all. <laughs> yeah. um, I want this strategy instead. So I think allowing yourself permission to change your mind over time is completely fine. But you know, you have to start somewhere. I, I totally agree with what Winnie just said too. I mean, some people want to get really involved and hands-on in the business. Some people make a lot of money and they hate their jobs and they want to, you know, jump and do you know, finding an operator where they can maybe help pay for parts of the process or maybe go for bigger upfront appreciation and then decide to hold or sell. Or you might say, hey, I dream of 20 years from now owning 20 doors or a thousand doors. And does it look like a bunch of apartment buildings or does it look like single families? And a lot of times where we're from or the markets that we live in can shape what that kind of success looks like. So I think understanding those pieces of it are really important going into it. I think after that, when you start looking for an operator, one of the simple things you can do is start gathering an understanding just from the forums of some, some basics, some things that we know are facts that have a little bit less arguments to them and start asking questions and seeing if the turnkey provider is a teacher or a seller, right? And someone that's going to take the time to understand where you should buy, why you should buy in that area or that market. Of course, they're all going to sell their markets, but you know, see if, if, if it kind of passes the sniff test just as a blanket beginning to understanding if someone's worth a future conversation with. So once you find like a couple turnkey providers, what are, can you give us maybe three direct questions you would ask them, but something generic that anybody could use no matter what their strategy. So you, you always see that they have, you know, A neighborhoods, B neighborhoods, C neighborhoods. I would start by asking, how do you classify or define each of those different neighborhoods? Another good one is, which one do you think is better and why? Maybe walk me through the differences. 
And a third one, I'm kind of, I was kind of focused on the neighborhoods because I think it's really important. I would say the third one would be, why do you offer C neighborhoods and what type of investors purchase in those neighborhoods? Mm-hmm. Okay, Good. cool. What about you, Whitney? Yeah, I approach it from a similar effect. I mean, you have to think the providers, you know, depending on how their business is structured, they're your deal finder, they're your construction, maybe your property management as well, depending on whether they're vertically integrated or horizontally integrated. Can you explain that for everyone real quick? Yes. What the difference in that would be? Yeah. I didn't even know there's two different kinds. Yeah. If you could explain that, please. Yeah. So you have... A turnkey provider, if they're horizontally integrated, they maybe just be finding, they might find the deal, do the construction, and then they're passing it off to another partner who has a different business that is property management. So that's a horizontal integration. If they have everything in house, they're finding the deal, they're doing the construction, and they're holding the property management, then that's vertically integrated. That's kind of like an easy way to kind of think about it. And there's pros and cons to those different structures. And we can kind of dive into that because I don't want to lose the piece where if somebody's just starting out, no matter whether the business is vertically or horizontally integrated, you need to know that where one part responsibly begins and the other one ends. So to Lance's point, he's asking as if a deal finder, like, where are you invested? What are the markets? What's this type of asset class? What do you specialize in? Um, I would also add on to that. They're handling the construction. You need to understand like what's being rehabbed to what level. What are their thresholds, right? A lot of times these providers are saying, you know, if it, there's seven years left, they're not going to replace it. Whatever it is, the HVAC, the water heater or whatever. And then when they hand an investor a pro forma, they're not putting capital expenditures and maintenance into the picture. So we need to reconcile that from a construction standpoint. And then you have the property management. Like, how are you managing the project? Are you doing it? If you're not, I want to talk to the manager because I need to interview them as property management. If you are, I want to understand how you're running your business. And a lot of, I think a lot of investors get really hung up on the numbers aspects, like what their fees are, maintenance fees and stuff like that. But when you hire somebody for property management, they're your day-to-day operator. I want to know how they're taking care of me as the investor, but also the tenant and kind of understanding their business model. Have they been tested? You know, to Lance's point, is this their, their, a new venture for them that they're kind of like, you know, building up on the side or, you know, do they have like two or 300 units under their belt? And this is a legitimate business for them, not just a cost center. Yeah, Whitney, that was going to be my next question. And I'm glad you brought that up. Do mm-hmm. you typically, or, and, and this goes to Lance as well, would you typically go for the larger scaled providers or smaller, or is it really just the way their business is set up? I mean, what, what is it that you look for? I have a very heavy, uh, stark opinion on this. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I appreciate to be challenged in any way. Sure. Um, and a lot of it comes from experience. So when I initially started buying it in Indianapolis, I bought a turnkey provider. He was horizontally integrated. His business partner had the property management firm and had about 150 to 200 properties. I was very well taken care of. And then that company sold to a larger company that had 5,000 units. I became, I became a number. Right. My tenants became a number. It was, it was a horrible experience. And then, you know, on conversely, when I, you know, scaled up in Kansas City, I was with a property manager. He was very hungry. I was able to scale up my portfolio quickly, rehabbing with him. Okay. I did some turnkeys and we also transitioned into the rehab portion. 
But his property management company, he was trying to build it. He only about a hundred units, but he didn't have any sort of systems and skills behind him. I mean, property management operates on very thin margins. And so he was a one-man show and you know, he had life happened. He had a, his family was expanding, he had a baby, and then he was like, I'm gonna sell the company. And again, he sold to a larger entity. And so I look for now property management companies that have about 300 to maybe 500 units under management because there is an ability... I mean, it's cost-effective and they have ability to scale. There's, I'm well taken care of as an investor. My tenants are well taken care of. I mean, there's, it's, I'm not a number. I mean, there's, there's response there. Lance, what about you, man? What do you think? I don't have a super strong opinion on big versus small in general. I think if you're too small, there could be like operational deficiencies. Once you get past that like operational growing phase and you know you have processes in place for handling pretty much any issue that could happen, that's when you're probably in the sweet spot. I'm actually my most of my properties are are in Indianapolis as well. I'm in a couple other markets too. But for those properties, I have one property manager and I'm I'm definitely not a number, but I'm definitely not the biggest fish, but I'm definitely like a bigger one. And I, I love it. I think I get a lot of mm-hmm. like attention and I can go directly to the owner of the, of the company and she helps me. So yeah, I, I probably agree overall with Whitney. So once you get into these property management companies that are, you know, recommended by the turnkey provider or part of their business, is there a certain way that you have to like get out of a contract with them or are you stuck with them for a certain amount of time when you buy that turnkey property or can you take those properties whenever and leave and take it to a different property manager? So I think I'll field this one. I have some firsthand experience with this in the past. Like everything in life, you should read every agreement you're signing and you should give yourself <laughs> the most flexibility, right? To make sure that it's it's two-way. So one of my frustrations with turnkey operators is since they're kind of doing everything or handing it to you with everything already done, you might get a really bad property manager. And if you're the person doing the turnkey and you're really good at rehabbing the properties, you're not great at you know managing properties in general. So usually they might partner with someone that could be good or bad. So I like to have that flexibility when I get in there. If the property manager sucks, to be able to vet my own property managers and switch the properties, depending how integrated they are and where it falls. If they have their own property manager in-house, for instance, you know they're probably going to auto sign it with a, a year term agreement with the property manager and then they suck and you're you know you're kind of screwed. So I would just be I'd be wary of that and just remember like just because it's turnkey doesn't mean it's completely hands off. Yeah. I think to add to that, I mean a lot of times what I see with turnkey providers is that they're uh, sweetening the deal by offering some sort of warranty on the back end, like maybe six months or a year warranty. like and, and that allows them to kind of incentivize you to stay with their property management. So that's a question to know up front. If I buy with you and I don't like your property management, are you now not warranting your construction? Oh, that's a, I didn't even think about that. That's really good. So let me follow up with that question. This goes to Lance and Whitney. Are you able to follow the rehab like decisions on what's going to get made or whatever? For example, when I do my rehabs on my properties, I love to buy my own material just because of the points that I get on the credit cards. Oh, then I pay that off with the re with the refi, whatever. But like, how involved are you, or are you not allowed to be in the rehab of you know a turnover or whatever the case may be? Yeah, and how do you know that it's being done correctly too? You know, are they, do they have like a third party inspector or anything like that? Yeah, I've heard, actually heard Lance speak to this. And so I will definitely kick it back. I will say that, you know, to answer your first point is 
you're not generally for turnkey, you're not involved in the rehab process. Now there is, and I maybe have time to get into it. There's a process called Berkey and that's backing it up one step that you could be involved in the process. I'd love to hear about that, but Lance, go ahead and take that one then, man. Yeah. So usually you're not involved in the process. Usually, you know, houses pop up when they're ready to sell because they want you to buy what's available. Hey, we only have five properties left. You got to buy one of these five. Oh, these ones aren't ready yet. You know, you don't want to sell one that's six months out when I have five others that are sitting here ready to go. So one of the toughest things is not being able to be involved. And truthfully, as a new investor, you don't really want to be involved because you think it's it's so hands-off. I've had really bad experiences in the past with, with four jobs done on rehabs. One point Whitney made earlier was the age of major appliances, HVACs, roofs, things like that. You know, we come into a property and you have a, you don't realize that a roof might have five years livable life left on it seven years. And we just expect everything to be new and done and some things don't make sense to do. But what happens when there's a leak in the roof and the house gets flooded, right? Actually, that happened to my, to my brother. How are they going to handle it? So I'll even add to that as one of the questions is understanding how they handle issues that happen after closing. And I'm not just talking about a warranty because a warranty could last a year. But what happens if 18 months later, the HVAC goes out, you know, the roof collapses, something big, something major happens. How do they handle it? How have they dealt with it in the past? And when we're reference checking, I think it's important to try to talk to one of those references that they made right with. I've seen on the forums that people will go in and call out turnkey providers and then all of a sudden, oh no, I don't want my name to be bad on bigger pockets. So I'm going to go take care of it for them. But what do they actually do when these situations come up? Because they are going to happen. I would also add, even the best providers are going to make mistakes somewhere. Nobody shoots 100%. Um, So you can try to vet the big stuff as much as you can. You should always get an inspection on the property. You should always fly out and see the property and go through it with the inspector and understand everything there is to know about it. I would never trust a six-figure investment out of state that I've never seen you know, never met with the person inspecting it. I would never trust them to pick the inspector. You know, these are all things of just kind of that trust, but verify, hey, I'm going to trust that you did a good job with it, but I'm going to verify all of this with me picking an expert that's going to tell me everything I need to know about the property. So I feel 100% confident I'm going to purchase it because you're not going to be able to sit there through the process, pick out the material, pick out the colors, you know, understand why why they are or are not doing things, you know, and they're probably not going to be very forthcoming with exactly how much they spend on the property either. If I can offer, yeah, yeah, if I can ahead, offer yeah. a couple other points to that, um, you know, things I see turnkey providers, and I think they do it as a service. I think the businesses are trying to actually like make this a very smooth process for the investor. But you know, to Lance's point, I, I, I want to reemphasize this: you get your own inspector, you get a third-party inspector, contact somebody else in the market, okay? Because you want to have that as disconnected from the process as possible, because that is a, it's your purchase insurance. If that inspector, oh, I, I guess the turnkey provider might actually offer an investor inspection. I would avoid those at all costs. They tend to be very abbreviated inspections and they, they can miss quite, quite large things very often. And if the inspector suggests to do, say, like a sewer scope or termite inspection, you know, do those things, at least for the first few properties in a market. So you get, begin to understand what the complications are in the market. Um, again, this is a six-figure plus investment for you. Um, you. It's your equity in the deal. You're not forcing the equity in the deal. And so you want to guard your equity as best as you can. So I wanted to add to that. It blows my mind how many people buy a six-figure investment out of state 
and then they don't want to spend a few hundred bucks or, an, or 30 minutes on their own inspector or a few hundred bucks extra on the sewer. It's like you're putting down twenty dollars to $30,000 to buy this property, but then you don't want to you know, spend the time to jump on a $300 flight. You know what I mean? Or like the, the $300 inspection on the property and you're just going to trust some random person you've never met before over the internet on the property, you know? <laughs> That's such a good point because so many people, I think they have it in their head, like to be that super passive, successful investor, I can buy properties without even looking at them. Like I'm so great because I can do that. And I mean, it can go either way, but that I think you gave a great point there is you're spending this much money. Why not go and have that tax write off and take your family for two days to wherever you're investing out of state. But Whitney, I want to go back to talking about that what did you call it? A burr key? Oh yeah. A burr key. <laughs> yeah. That really yeah. Uh, intrigued my interest there. Yeah. So, um, a burr key is like a turnkey, except that you're backing it up one step in the process. So you, you know, investor can find, and oftentimes you, we're seeing turnkey providers shift their business model a little bit. So they aren't holding on to inventory, especially in times like this. We don't know where asset prices are going to go for the long term for the next year and a half to two years. And so I'm seeing some turnkey providers who can still have, they still have great deal flow and they're actually kind of shifting their model. So what the investor can do is actually partner with that provider. They buy the property, they fund the construction and that provider for a fee is taking care of the purchase of the property, the construction. And so that can actually allow the investor to be more hands-on in the construction process. And then the investor can go and they're working with their property management. Again, still very kind of as passive as you can get with a rehab and then refinance out the deal. So now what is the benefit to the Berkey provider to do this? Two things. One, they're keeping their crews busy right? That's very important if you have a business like this. You don't want your best GCs walking off the job to go work for somebody else because you don't have any work. So they do that to keep their GCs busy. And they're not holding on to inventory and they can actually generate um, income through fees and then eventually through property management and commissions on the sale. So... Yeah, the there you go. There's, there's, there's tons there. Well, one of the questions that I would have that I would imagine that our listeners are going to be having as well is, can you give some examples of great turnkey, great, you know, examples of a very successful event that happened with that. And then maybe a downfall or a pit that happened. And then what you learned from each and how you can better your business by doing this. And and I would ask the same question to Lance, if you don't mind. Yeah. So as far as like purchasing turnkeys, I have two examples that I can share in um, Indianapolis. Uh, One, you know, I hit a home run. It was in a uh, very, it was in a B-class B market, great schools, great location to downtown, single uh, single family residents. Really, the construction was perfect. I mean, uh, the tenant was great. The tenant was had been underwritten properly, you know, three times income, everything. Like it was just, it went swimmingly well. And it was one of my early turnkey purchases. So of course I was elated and I bought more. The next one, not so much. (laughs) Before we go on to the next one, can you kind of dig into the numbers a little bit for us on that one? Okay. Yeah. So I bought it for $120,000 and um, put 20% down because I was able to get a conventional loan on it. The cool thing about this one, and this kind of goes back to your, you know, what Lance was kind of alluding to is your flexibility sometimes with construction. We knew that each back was at end of life. And so I actually went back to the the provider and had them escrow funds 
for the HVAC or not the HVAC, the water heater. It was the water heater. And I was just like, you know, I, he didn't want to give me a concession. He didn't want to give me the cash. So we escrowed funds and he said, if it, if it does truly break within two years, I'll replace the water heater. It did in eight months. <laughs> so I got, I got the water heater. So you can negotiate kind of things like that. So you have to understand your power a little bit as a buyer that you can negotiate these things in. So I held on to it for two and a half years and it was in a great appreciating neighborhood. The tenant was very well underwritten, paid like clockwork every single time. No problems, no issues, except for the water heater going out and we quickly replaced it. And um, I sold it two and a half years later. And this is what gets me because people say you can't make money in turnkey. Yes, you can. You're making the cash flow. And I sold it two years later for $145,000. And so that's awesome. And you're paying yeah. down equity the whole time with the tenant's rent. Yeah. Yeah. The tenant, the tenant was paying everything down for me. So it was a great return on my investment. Again, I was incentivized to continue by <laughs> buying more property. And the second time around, actually, this was my, I, I, I would say it was my first property, but it became my first problem child. Within 10 months of ownership, the, all of a sudden they stopped paying. And this is when this property management change was going on. And I became a number in the system. And, um, you know, I was encouraged to work with the tenant, but I, I didn't know what was happening with the tenant. Again, same type of house, 120, probably 125,000, 20% down. And I had an eviction. I had to evict them. I couldn't even, I offered them cash or keys. They wouldn't take the cash or keys. And now I understood why, because they had lied on their rental application to get the house. And so the, t- the couple that actually rented it had broken up. The, m- the guy had moved out. The girl had moved in her father, who unfortunately was disabled. And his wheelchair had just scarred the whole house. He had a dog. And she was working nights and weekends. And she was very you know, hardly ever around. And the older man had a dog who he couldn't let out of the house. Oh, no. <laughs> we know where this goes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it right there. We can all picture <laughs> what happened. So of course I was mad at this whole process. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have an eviction. I mean, it, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when that you're going to have an eviction, I think. And they're not as scary as they seem. It's just, it's not fun. It's never fun to move somebody out of the house, but... But that didn't deter you, right? You kept buying more, you kept going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That really helped me, you know, work through my checklist of, I need to double check property management's placement of the tenant. And Mm -hmm. if I can dig deeper into, I probably would have asked more questions on where their income was coming from. I would ask more questions on the stability of the relationship. I mean, these things that the property manager can't ask these questions, but I can because there's, there's distance, right? Whitney, have you found that property managers are open to feedback and then are they implementing that feedback, are you finding, or are they just stuck in their ways? It depends on the property manager. Um, it, I look at property management as not a vendor, but a partner. So I want to underwrite them as such. If I'm, you know, if I were going through this process and you know, the property management was like, I'll do everything for you and I don't want you involved in the process, I, I think that for me is a red flag. Interesting. So, I would like to have property management that would allow me to, you know, take a peek at rental applications. Now at the end, you know, depending on fair housing laws, they, they might make the, you know, the, the end decision. If you have three equal candidates, they'll make the decision on which one goes in there, but you could, you can, you can ask to oversee the applications. That's fine. Certainly you're being more involved in the process and that takes time, 
but yeah, I mean, I think I, 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 I come at it from a business perspective. Like you want to inspect what you expect. And if you don't do that, you know, you're going to have surprises. Right. Lance, what about, what about you, man? What, what are some of the things that you dig into kind of like Whitney was saying, and then, you know, can you give us a win and a loss and what you learned from each? For sure. Well, I think the next, the next topic's got to be cash reserves after that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've all got the good stories. I got so many good stories. So I have a I have a fantastic property manager, but every property manager, fantastic or not, they always have faults. And so you always kind of you have to learn and and understand what they're really good at and what they're not great at. A good example, my property manager is like really good at the vetting process, my main property manager, but they are um, they're always under market rent on everything. So they get them filled pretty quickly. And of course, they're you know incentivized to fill properties. That's how they get paid. But for me, it's, you know, there's always that balance of like, am I getting the most rent? How long is it sitting? So my constant flux with them is you do a great job vetting, but like we're, we're like a couple hundred bucks in the market. So I, I'm now in the last probably 18 to 24 months, start to like micromanage that process and keep a spreadsheet on what the rents are, what the market rate is. And I have my ways of going in and figuring that out to make sure like that's one of the ways I keep my finger on the pulse. And I've noticed though, that the more that I'm involved on, in that process and the more I'm engaged with here's what the rent looks like. Here's how I came up with it. They give me more attention on my properties because I, you know, just for me, you know, paying attention to it. And a lot of people don't pay any attention to it and they're just, Hey, we're just going to renew them at the same rate. You know, we're never going to increase the rents. We're never going to, we're never going to up anything and we're going to keep it rented and it's better long-term. And so I think that's a good way to, to just get forgotten about in the fold. And not that they're taking advantage of you, but they just know, you know, who's going to pay attention to stuff more. Now, Lance, before we keep going, let me, let me let me dig into that a little bit. Do you feel like you get tenants that are staying longer with lower rents, or are you seeing lower or more turnover at that? I don't know a hundred percent. I don't know if I have enough data to answer that. I usually try to do like two year leases up front, and then I try to like feel it out on the renewal based on keeping the rent or increasing it. Mm-hmm. Overall, I like to be, keep tenants in. We'll probably get to this later, but now most of my properties are like 100% paid off. And so like I just don't really have much debt anymore. So for me, if someone wants to leave, if they're that under market rent, I'll, I'll be happy to let them go and you know take time to refill the property. So the keeping them longer term is a little less important to me now than it used to be. Okay. But with that said though, I mean, if I'm increasing rent like 50 bucks and they want to move out on it, then I'll say, hey, I'll let you stay. Like I'm not trying to kick them out for that. But my first four to six years, four years, I think, I did I never looked at the rents. And then I looked over and I had someone in a property at paying $9.95 and now the rent was $13.50. And I was like, okay, wow. like I'm I'm leaving so much money on the table by not paying attention to it. Well, thank you guys for sharing uh that with us. We're gonna move on to our next segment now. This one is called the MVP. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9 to 5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We know and you all know why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with RentReady. Now, RentReady is included in your pro membership at BiggerPockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six-month plan for only $1. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like bigger pockets investor for six months of rent ready for only $1. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But we're going to switch it up a little bit. Usually we ask what your uh, most valuable player is. 
and who really helps you in your real estate investing and to grow your business. But what we want to know, what everyone wants to know, who do you use as your turnkey providers? Are they giving out the secrets? (laughs) Go ahead, Whitney. Um, so I, I I have a different tactic right now. So I, I am not, you know, I've scaled into rehab and then also into syndications. I actually utilize my own property management to pick up a lot of my properties right now. And some of them I get, there are investors that just want to get out. And then others that I get that are like, you know, rehabs. And I think that's like one of the best kept secrets. I think a lot of people are just trying to, you know, force it on the internet, um, or like through searches in the MLS, but that your property management can be really handy in building your business. So these are other, uh, investors who use the same property management company yes. that you do, and you are there waiting for them to want to sell. Yeah. I'm constantly asking like every month, my pro- my property manager <laughs> will put out a list and I'm like cherry picking the list based on what I want that month. Like if I, yeah. if I know I have no time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go for that one. If I don't have any, if I have more time, I'm like, maybe I'll tackle a rehab or something like that. That's cool. Lance, what about you? I've done the same thing. I've leveraged my <laughs> property manager too. And I've found a lot of great buys. My last several properties have actually bought off the MLS though. So I don't buy turnkey anymore. I would say the person I started out with, but they're not even doing turnkey anymore because the market's just got too hot. So I don't even think I currently have someone I could recommend. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's no problem. Okay. So Felipe, you want to take us to the Ricky request line? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure you guys have heard, but this part is we're basically going to ask you a question from one of our rookies, right? And anyone can call in and leave us a voice mod anytime. That number is one 5 rookie You can call in, leave a voice mod, and we might play yours on the show. Again, that number is one 5 rookie So Lance, Whitney, are you guys ready for the question? Yes. Hey guys, my name is Javier Beltran and my wife and I will be investing out of state in Lincoln, Nebraska. My question is with regards to property management. Right now we have two properties and a property manager whom we trust and we feel she'll do a good job. However, it's probably smart to ensure, to macromanage and ensure that she's doing the things that we agreed upon. What are some tips and advice that you guys have to make sure that's being done and that we can hold her accountable without being too invasive or intrusive? Thank you. Look forward to hearing back. All right. Um, I can start off here. So when you're starting off with property management, I mean, you, as an, especially as a new investor, you're nervous, right? This is a new investment. You just threw down like five figures. You get a six figure investment. I totally get it. There's a balance between micromanagement and then actually treating that person as if they're a partner. I think it's totally reasonable to be very involved in the process. And if it were me, and and this is what I do now, is that my team knows that I am following up with them at 8 a.m. on Monday morning, or not Wednesday morning with everything. So that gives them some flexibility for if we make any price changes on rentals, they can get it executed before the weekend. We're taking advantage of that. I'm also not bombarding them on Monday morning with any sort of questions there. But I think it goes back to inspecting what you expect and keeping kind of a running tab on everything. Just got to find that balance between micromanagement and then actual like building that relationship and partnership. But that would be my kind of relationship advice for that. Yeah, I think it's like any business situation where like you don't really want to micromanage them. But yeah, I mean, you, you definitely have the right to be kind of invasive. I mean, you can ask a lot of questions, mm-hmm. updates ask for facts on on where it's at. 
a smaller example would be just, you know, if you have a vacant property following up, Hey, like I want updates on how many applicants you've received. Why were these declined, like denied? You know, what are the marketing efforts? Hey, can I have, can you send me the listing information, you know, take a look at the pictures, you know, just kind of like having your finger on the pulse and then saying, Hey, let's do this differently or this differently. Or, um, again, I think it also goes back to what I said earlier. Like if you pay attention and you show that you're paying attention, they're going to give you more attention back, back on it. And they're not going to ignore you as much. And, and if they're doing, if they're, if the same thing's happening and you're not asking any questions, like you might just go to the back of the line of tenants and they might put a tenant in another property to keep someone happy that's asking questions and kind of ignore you because they know that you're not worried about it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I had a situation once, Lance, where I bought a rental property in a college town. So I didn't even like dig into property management. I was like, oh, it's a college town. There's going to be tons of property managers. Tell me why I bought the property. I dropped 20 grand to fix it up. It's a quadplex and a duplex. It was really small town. Labor was cheap. It was it was going to be easy. I had it fixed up, fully rented out. I went to a property management company. I went to like three actually. And they all said that they would not manage my property, that it had such a bad rapport in that area. And to me, I thought it was a great property. It was cash flowing fine, but apparently it had troubles in the past. So, you know, for all our listeners out there, look at that as well. That's another strategy that you can use to find out if a property is good to purchase or not, or or if you're buying from a turnkey property, find out, you know, who's going to be managing the properties. I, I was I was dumbfounded when the property managers were like, no, we can't take it over. All that to say I ended up selling it, made a profit on it anyways. We all know real estate's forgiving, but it was it was really scary to to find out that no management company wanted to put their hands on it. That is a great strategy. And you know, thanks for bringing that up. Like before you purchase, the, uh, the property management is another set of eyes along with the appraiser and the inspector on the property. And so you would definitely want to get their feedback. Something that Lance said, also make sure as an investor that you're actually engaged into whatever a portal they're using, like maybe Appfolio or Propertyware and reviewing the content that's in there. So you can review your property management statements, review like all the maintenance tickets and stuff like that. And, you know, before you kind of pick up the phone and ask all the questions that might have been answered in that actual portal. So try to engage into the systems that the property manager has set up for you and ask intelligent questions for sure. Yeah, the software is amazing that it's so easy to get the information you need. I mean, you can pull a lease in seconds from your property manager just from all the documents uploaded. You can get your owner's report. You can get your P&L statement so easily. I used to use Appfolio and Buildium. And just now that I'm on the the owner side of it. I love being able to access all that because I miss being the one like putting in all the information and entering the data. But um, and it didn't yeah. used to be that way. This is new. Now everyone has right. a software. So I, I was like working with PMs before there was software. And you get like the weird statements every month. And now it's all software based. It's so much easier. You can look it right up on your phone, use the apps. Yeah. So nice. Okay, so we're going to move into our random questions. This has a little bit to do with real estate, really not, but Felipe and I are each going to uh, pick a question. So go ahead, Felipe, if you want to pick one first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I'll, I'll ask this directly to Lance because he talked a little bit about apps. Lance, what are some of the apps that you use for real estate to run your business, run your show? And yeah, what are some of the good ones? You know, I use like the basic ones like Zillow and apartments.com. Frequently, and I, I I mainly use those. That's just the first thing that came to mind. I mainly use those for validating, you know, based on like home size, square footage, like what rents are in the area, kind of keep a pulse on the market, what to expect, and like drill down to the neighborhood, get you know crime statistics, 
you know, everything you need to know, I guess. Whitney? Oh, I can add on to that. So I, I learned this by trial by error. You can actually get the FEMA.gov. You can actually hotlink the flood maps to your phone. And so you can drop in the address and look up to see if the property is on a flood map. I have run into where, um, you know, one, it was only one property manager in a particular market, but that was kind of their stick. They would pick up properties in flood areas and kind of, I think, hope that you weren't paying attention. But that's always a, a great check. I like having a deal calculator on my phone. Bigger Pockets has a deal calculator. I like DealCheck.io. And then as my portfolio grows, I like using Stessa.com to pull in all my bookkeeping and manage the performance of my portfolio. I just started using Stessa. I'm testing it on one property right now, but I really like it a lot. It's so super easy. Usually I've been yeah. using uh, QuickBooks, but I think I might uh, convert to it. I like to be able to just take a picture of my receipt on my phone and it's free where QuickBooks to have the online version, you have to pay like $30 a month, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for the next question, what is one fear or self-doubt you've had to overcome or you're even trying to overcome right now in your real estate investing career? I, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> For me, I have two struggles. I don't necessarily... I've worked really hard interpersonally to reframe everything as lessons or learning. So even if it's a failure or setback, you know, I was like an A student all through high school and college and perfect. I, I get trapped by perfectionism. And I think that's also shows up in my deal analysis is analysis paralysis. And I really have tried to work very hard on like breaking down those barriers and just making myself make offers <laughs> on, <laughs> on deals because you will be amazed. Like even if you're like, Oh man, this deal will never work. And you make an offer on it. And it maybe doesn't apply so much to turnkey, but guys, you can actually ne- negotiate turnkey prices. What's the worst they're going to say? No, I have really kind of gotten over my fear of perfectionism and actually quite honestly, rejection, you know, hearing that word. No. Lance? Yeah, I would say like more so in the, in the very beginning was like making the first move, buying the first properties, you know, shelling out that 20-ish K, 25K or whatever. It's funny because there was always like this huge fear of spending that money and like, oh, what if I lose it all? And, you know, this is a relative conversation to the people that are listening to this podcast that have that kind of money because it is a lot of money. But if you're listening to this and you have the money to spend on it, if you were to spend that and you literally lost it and everything just went completely horrible, it took me a while to realize like, it's not that big of a deal. Like it really is not that big of a deal. And like what you'll learn from it is a mistake that you'll never do again. But when I was starting out, like I had such a hard time parting with the money. And as time's gone on, I've, I'm starting to like, my mindset's changed. I'm starting to look back and be like, you know, realize like you're, you'll never learn or you'll never be able to be successful in real estate without taking the step. And sometimes we kind of hide behind the analysis paralysis forever to like prevent having to make the move. But really, like you, you, you gotta, you gotta have enough facts, and then you just gotta, you know, you gotta go. So that was took some time to overcome. Thank you, guys. I think those are two of the best answers we've had on this question to actually explain how someone else can overcome that. Okay, so uh, where can people find out more about you guys, Whitney? Yeah, so uh, you can find me at ashwealth.com or email me at ashwealthco at gmail.com. And Lance. I have no personal website, but uh, my personal email is um, Lance, the number one Robinson. That's R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N at gmail.com. And um, I love talking real estate. And like, I have a bunch of friends around me that have invested in turnkey now. So if anyone has questions, like, I'd, lo- I'd love to help out. Thank you, guys. 
Felipe, anything else? Any last questions? No, I think we're good. You guys have been amazing on the show. Thank you for all of your knowledge. Seriously, I mean, two definite giants in the game, which I think is great because our listeners are definitely going to be excited about listening on Turnkey, on what questions to ask, what you guys have been through. Thank you guys for both being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me too. Thanks. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Felipe at Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.